Jesus was incarnated to ultimately bring about the justice of God and the mercy of God. Jesus was incarnated to identify with us, to be one of us. Let that sink in for a minute. You're listening to the Shoreline Church podcast with Pastor Pilgrim Benham. Today we start a new series called Incarnate. Today's message is titled, Hope Incarnate. Our scripture reading, our passage this morning that Pastor Pilgrim is going to be preaching out of is from Matthew chapter 12. Turn to Matthew chapter 12 and we're going to be reading verses 15 through 21. Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will have hope. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. For Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. It is our privilege to carry on the tradition of seeing your word preached faithfully here at Shoreline. We lift up Pastor Pilgrim as he comes to bring that he would teach us clearly and your Holy Spirit would work in our lives as we consider the incarnation this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 12 is our text this morning, and perhaps you have heard about the ad that was placed in a local neighborhood on a stop sign. Here's what the the actual ad said. It said, missing dog, cash reward, dog has only three legs after traffic mishap, missing most of tail, missing one ear, accidentally neutered, has mange, blind in one eye, Answers to the name Lucky. (laughs) Chances are, um, we laugh at that, and chances are most of us, though, can relate to Lucky. We live our lives, and we think, well, life dealt me a bad hand. Well, I thought that everything that I had sought out to do didn't really come to pass, or 
the, the things that I was hoping for and dreaming for didn't really uh, come to pass. And everything that I'm living for is, is not ultimately what I'm here for. And things that we never intended to live, we end up living. In fact, some of us find a, a portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, to be our plight, except we're misreading the verse. And I know the lights are on a little bit brighter today, and you may not be able to see this verse, but uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, we are afflicted in every way. And in that part of the verse you agree with, but maybe not the second half where Paul says, but we're not crushed. You might say, yeah, I'm perplexed, but Paul would say, but we're not driven to despair. We would say, well, I'm persecuted, but Paul would remind us, but we're not forsaken. And we'd say, I'm struck down. And yet Paul would say, but we're not destroyed. And what I want to do today as we start this new series on the incarnation is kind of address a little bit of an elephant in the room. And that is that, that you and I face a lifetime of difficulties, that life under the sun is, well, it's, it's hard. There's trials, there's suffering, there's struggles that we deal with. Uh, even in my own family, there was some suffering um, that we've dealt with uh, ever since I was a little boy. My a family member of mine grew up sexually and physically and emotionally abused uh, in, in a really terrible way. Uh, uh, my younger sister, some of you know that story. Her name was Grace. She lived for six months, uh, but she was born uh, with a lot of physical deformities. She was blind and deaf. She had extra fingers and toes, uh, and she um, passed away only six months old. My other sister had a full scholarship at Ringling, and the, the paperwork went wrong, and she lost her entire scholarship. And, and that was totally a discouraging moment. Um, growing up, uh, there were just these little things that happened to, to us, and it happens to everyone. Uh, we deal with these little issues. Our son Aiden was born premature, three weeks early, and uh, we, were, we were concerned about um, uh, his health. Uh, and later we found out Jen was like seconds away from hemorrhaging to death. We didn't we didn't realize um, in the moment. Uh, even since we've um, planted Shoreline Church, um, our family was a, a victim of a hit and run. So a hit and run happened to our family. Uh, another time, uh, we were on our way back from Disney and we hydroplaned on the uh, bridge over uh, Ellington, the Ellington um, interstate, and we hydroplaned and smashed into the sidewall. I'd been having dreams for weeks about us on that very bridge going over the side and then it happened, but we didn't go over the side. Uh, we, we got hit with taxes recently, and, uh, and there's always like the day-to-day -day kind of uh, the reality of life. And so some of you are nodding your head. You understand what that's like, just the trials that we go through in life. Some of you here, many of us here today, um, have friends that have let us down, promotions that we thought we were going to get that we were looked over, uh, things that we thought were going to work out, and then they didn't end up working out. Some of you are, have been living off ramen and you've had pennies in the bank, even it's been read, the bank account's been read, and you don't know how you're gonna get gas. We've, we've dealt with some of these things. And, and if we were to start sharing this morning uh, what our trials have been, uh, we'd need a lot more time and a lot more Kleenex. This would, have, this would be a cry fest. And let's admit it, this isn't ladies' ministry, so we're not, we're not gonna do that today. I'm just kidding, I'm just joking. Gosh, you guys are so sensitive. So as we enter this Christmas season, uh, we realize that the gospel begins with the concept of Christ coming as one of us, right? The foundation of our faith, the very foundation, the bedrock of our faith is not rooted in this high religiosity that doesn't kind of condescend down to the real stuff of humanity, to the pain, to the wound, to the fall. And so Jesus doesn't come 
uh, to, to just kind of show us a great life template to live. Jesus doesn't come and say, well, I'm not really going to deal with that. I'm just here to make you comfortable and make your life better. No, Jesus comes to deal with the dirt and the grime and the sin that actually plagues us, the real stuff that makes us human. And sometimes we have this false notion that, that Jesus kind of floated along, that he was kind of like the God ghost who kind of didn't actually put on human flesh, like that we don't understand Jesus got tired, Jesus hungered, Jesus wept. And, and the early first century believed the opposite extreme. They actually believed that he was fully God, but not man. And so they had kind of an, a misunderstanding. But the incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Christ as a human, is a bedrock doctrine of our faith. If you're taking notes today, the word incarnation literally means God in the, the meat, God in the flesh, God coming as a man. And it's such a, a powerful doctrine that sometimes we tiptoe around as Christians. Or more accurately, we, we, kind of, we kind of weigh it down with all of the extra stuff, the season, the feeling of Christmas, just feeling that Christmas spirit or Santa, or elf. We add all these kind of extras to the real reason that Jesus came, the real reason of Christmas. And so as we enter the Christmas season for the next three weeks, I want us to spend some time looking at the doctrine of the incarnation, the, the reality of, of Jesus coming as a man. And so today, we're gonna look at an aspect of the incarnation to kind of set it up, and we'll dive in a little bit more next week with the Logos incarnate, uh, and then love incarnate. But today, um, we're going to look at something that we often overlook. And what, I, what I'm praying is that we'll walk away with a renewed sense of hope. Because I believe in a congregation our size, there are many, many this morning who are dealing with a lot of hurt and are in need of hope. Now, when we say the word hope, we uh, have kind of cheapened the meaning of the word. Right? We'll say things like, I hope it's not raining when we leave service today. Maybe you've thought that already. I just saw our ushers are on this, but I just saw there is a tornado warning in the area. So hopefully nothing needs to be adjusted, but just so you're aware in this congregation. Um, and so we'll, we'll keep you guys uh, uh, up to date on what's happening. But uh, ultimately, when we, when we think about the word hope, we're saying, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope my hair doesn't get wet. I hope there's no traffic on the way to work tomorrow because the snowbirds are back, right? We, we use these, this word as if it's almost like wishful thinking. Some of you ladies, like, I hope he calls me back because he's really good looking, or I hope he doesn't call me back. Um, it sounds a lot more like wishful thinking than true biblical hope, which is something, listen, biblical hope is sure, it's steadfast, it's guaranteed. And so when we place our hope in the Lord, it's not I wish, right? And I'll pray and I hope something happens. No, it's I have absolute certainty. And so today the title of our sermon is Hope Incarnate. And what I want us to do is look at our Bibles at a, almost an odd passage for Christmas, but this kind of sets up where we're going to be going the next two weeks. So look in your Bible at Matthew chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to be reading today from the English Standard Version, the ESV. I know many of you have the New King James, but look at verse 15. It says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. All right, if you're taking note, the first question I would ask is, withdrew from where? Withdrew from where? Well, Jesus has just been in the synagogue, and the Pharisees happened to, in the middle of the service, find a man in the synagogue with a withered hand. 
And they use him as kind of bait to set Jesus up, as they often tried to, to set him up for some type of a trick, some type of a trap. And you guys know the Bible, right? Jesus never fell into the trap. He actually, with their question, would kind of spin it back and ask them a difficult question that they could never seem to answer. And so their question is, hey, Jesus, verse 10, is it lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful? And the idea here is, hey, Jesus, we just saw your disciples gleaning in the field. It wasn't where they were gleaning, how they were gleaning, but it was when. They were gleaning on the Sabbath. That's work. And so they are setting Jesus up with this question. They know he wants to heal this man, but their question is, is it lawful? Is it right? Are you allowed to do this on the Sabbath? And notice what Jesus says if you look back at verse 11. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Even if that falls on a Sabbath, basically. Even if that happened on a specific day. In other words, Jesus is saying it may not be out of compassion, but out of the very fact that that sheep has value as property to you. And so because of your fiscal responsibility, you would go down and actually do work and pull it out on the Sabbath. Jesus is basically saying this, it's lawful to do something on the Sabbath, to do good. If you're gonna do something on the Sabbath, it should be to do good. And so then Jesus says to the man in the synagogue, he just says to him, stretch out your hand. That is incredibly boastful and almost rude to say to someone if you don't have the power to actually heal them. In other words, hey, you're, you're paralyzed, just go ahead and get up. Hey, you're blind, like open your eyes. Hey, you've got a withered hand, just stretch it out, right? Jesus is saying this not as a cruel suggestion, but because he was the one doing the healing work and asking, inviting the man to apply his faith. And so as the man begins to stretch out his hand, if this were on a movie, you could see almost his hand coming alive, his fingers you know, wiggling, and him kind of, oh, wow, this is amazing. And so as he does this, the religious leaders then decide, we need to conspire to kill him. And so then Jesus withdraws from there. Why would Jesus withdraw from there? Well, if you've been in our study in the Gospel of John, you know why. Jesus did not set up his earthly kingdom or his heavenly kingdom here on earth in that moment. Why? If you know from the Gospel of John, it's because his time had not yet come, right? You guys know this. Good. Well, you haven't had your coffee yet, maybe, so some of you didn't get that. But Matthew tells us that this action of leaving and not setting up his kingdom immediately was actually a fulfillment of Isaiah 42. Micah just read it, but we're going to spend some time kind of looking through this section uh, that quotes Isaiah 42 and speaks about the ministry of Messiah. And what I want us to do today is look specifically for what Christ would do when he comes into the world. What would Christ's incarnational ministry result in? So we're kind of starting, if you would, from the end, and then we're going to work our way back in the next three weeks, if that makes sense. We're kind of going to work backwards. So look at verses 17 and 18. Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, that means pay attention, verse 18. My servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. So if you're taking note, we're gonna jot down six things about the Messiah. So go ahead and get your pens out, or if you've got your iPad, you can follow along on our Bible app. Uh, number one, according to verse 18, Messiah will be a servant. Go ahead and jot that down. Messiah will be a servant. 
The first thing we're told to behold or pay attention to is that the Messiah will come to serve. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice with me as well on that same note that God says, behold my servant. I have chosen him. And so he has been ordained by the Father to come and to serve. Not just to serve us, but to serve the Father. Now let's read on. He says, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Would you take down number two? The Messiah not only will be a servant, but he's also a beloved son. We need to understand that distinction, that Jesus is the servant of the Father, but he's also the son of God. He'll be the beloved of God. As a son, we know this from the Gospel of John, he's going to be well-pleasing to his father. And so one of the things that we hear over and over in the New Testament is this idea that the, the son, every time the father speaks about him, is that he's well-pleased with him. He's, he's grateful for the son. The son is well-pleasing to the father. Now, can I see who my dads are today? Raise your hand if you're a dad in the house. Where are my dads? All right, so uh, you can put your hands down. Any aspiring dads? How many of you want to be a future dad? Any future dads? How many of you, raise your hand, didn't want to be a dad? Okay, no, you don't need to raise your hand. All right, so as kids, there's something about dad's approval, isn't there? You just, you want dad's approval. So, you know, at our house, the kids love mom. They love when mom is, is impressed with something. And so I think I can share this, right? They, they love when, when Jen will say, great job, honey. Uh, you cleaned your room. Or, hey, great job, hon. You you got a, a B on your test or an A on your test, right? They, they want to hear that, and it's, it's definitely good. But there's something almost really miraculous or powerful or, like, special about dad's approval. And, and so some of us, in, in a weird way, and I'm not getting psychological, but some of us in a weird way, like, never heard dad just say, well done, son, good job. I'm pleased with you. I'm so proud of you. Some of us never heard dad say that. Uh, we were with my dad, actually, uh, on a trip in North Carolina, and uh, we were ringing something up at a gift shop, and my dad um, could notice that the girl at the cashier was a little bit bothered, and, and my dad said, are, are you okay? And she said, yeah, it's just really neat to see you and your kids, your family. Um, my dad died a few months ago, and uh, I never got to hear him like say goodbye to you, and I'm proud of you. And, and she starts crying, and I like looked away, and there's my dad, basically hugging her, and I was like, what just happened? This is crazy. Uh, and I asked him later what happened, and he said, he said, well, let me, as your dad, step in and say I'm proud of you, and I'm, I'm grateful for you, and, and you know, basically gave her a hug. And there, he's crying, she's crying, he's telling me the story, I start getting choked up. There's just something about dad's approval. And yet, here, uh, the father says, this is my beloved with whom my soul is well Pleased. What are we ultimately looking for? What was the son able to do? He's able to say that I'm doing the Father's will and that I'm well-pleasing to him. Now look at this next part, verse 18, second part. It says, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So number three, if you're taking note, can you guys hear me? All right, don't be distracted today. We're still gonna have time in the word. Number three, he will be empowered by the Spirit. EJ, go ahead and turn that up, man. Awesome. He will be empowered by the Spirit. So Jesus would be filled with 
endued from on power with uh, the presence and the power and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But notice that his message will be justice to the Gentiles. Justice to the Gentiles. Now, some of the Jews kind of overlooked that little ditty. They kind of missed that one. But even back when God made his covenant with Abram, um, he was blessing him to be a blessing to all the nations. And I'm so glad, as most of us are today, that we were grafted in, that we are part of this proclamation of justice as a Gentile. And I just love this, that he's going to proclaim justice for you and for me. The gospel transcends any nationalism, any ethnic superiority. It's for all people. It's for all the Gentiles that we would receive justice. And and that's just a glorious hope uh, for us uh, and for every nation, tribe, and people. And so he's going to be those Uh, the one who has the spirit upon him who's proclaiming justice. But notice the next part, verse 19. Verse 19 says, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. If you're taking note, number four, he will not be strident. Strident just means really loud, really boisterous. The Messiah, according to Isaiah, is not going to be someone who quarrels or has to raise his voice. Now, that that doesn't mean he's never going to speak loudly like I'm trying to do right now. Uh, If you remember back in John chapter 7, remember on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus in a loud voice proclaimed, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit. So it's not that he won't be from time to time raising his voice. What it means here uh, is that, listen, he's not going to be that guy. You know that guy, the guy that walks into the room and has to be the loudest guy in the room, you guys know what I mean, who walks in and says, my reputation precedes me, and he's very loud. Jesus isn't gonna be that person. On the screen, look at this with me. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to be the loud, boisterous Messiah, the conquering king necessarily in his first coming. He came uh, to be one who was mild, who was meek, who was gentle. And not only was Jesus coming uh, to not quarrel or cry aloud, Uh, but he was coming to be the suffering servant, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not raising his voice for himself, but raising his voice for justice to the Gentiles. You guys remember in Luke chapter two at the baby dedication of Jesus. That's why, by the way, we don't do um, infant baptism here. At Shoreline, we do baby dedication. Jesus was dedicated as a child in Luke chapter two. And so you guys remember Simeon, the older man, the prophet kind of takes Jesus in his arms, and here's what he declares in Luke chapter 2. He says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Notice that for a minute, that Jesus would come as a revelation to the Gentiles, and yet also at the same time, He would be glory to the people of Israel. 
That's ultimately found in Jesus. Now, look at verse 20, guys. Verse 20, Isaiah tells us what the Messiah would do with those who are weak, with those who are hurting, uh, with those who are barely hanging on. He says in verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. If you're taking note, number five, Messiah will be sympathetic. Will be sympathetic. The Messiah comes to bring hope to two things that are at their wit's end. First, a reed that's been beaten and battered and bruised, and secondly, a candle's wick that is just about to flicker out its last bit of light. And Jesus says, with a small, weak object in, like this in his hand, he's not going to cast the final blow. I want to look at both of these for a minute and kind of address maybe where some of us are at this morning. And again, I want to implore you not to be distracted uh, by the, the raindrops on the ceiling. Listen intently. Lean forward to what the Lord wants to communicate today. First of all, a reed. I think we have a picture of it. A reed uh, was very common in Israel. I'm trying to think of what that would be here in Florida, what would be a corresponding thing. But reeds grew in marshes and riverbanks in Israel by the millions. Maybe... maybe uh, Love bugs, okay? It's just something that was everywhere. It wasn't important. It was kind of a nuisance. It was just there. They weren't worth anything of value. If you took a perfect reed, you could use it for a few different things. You could use a reed as a walking stick, dry it out and kind of walk with it. You could use a reed as, as a writing instrument. You could put some uh, type of, some form of ink and use it as a writing instrument. You could use it as a measuring stick. It would be a certain height and you could use that to maybe lay out um, measurements. Some people would use a reed, they'd hollow it out and use it as a flute, as a musical instrument. And sometimes you could use a reed and thatch it together with other reeds form roofs or uh, to put it in a small boat uh, like the Nile River. You could use it in, a, in a, a body of water. But if a reed became bruised, maybe a bird landed on it, snapped it, uh, maybe a man ran past it and bent it, it would be absolutely, it already was worthless. Now it would be absolutely worthless. Nobody wants to, to walk with a broken walking stick uh, or a cane that's not, not kind of reliable. Nobody with a bruised reed wants to try to play a flute that is out of tune. Uh, no one wants to try to uh, measure something knowing that it's bent and the measurement's gonna be not accurate. Uh, if you can't take a, a reed once it's bruised and make it float or keep water out, well, then your, your roof is going to leak and you're going to sink. Uh, and so what do you do with a reed that's been damaged when you have thousands of other, if not millions of other, perfectly usable reeds down by the river? What do you do? You do what any eight-year-old boy wants to do to impress the girl in class. You take that number two pencil and you snap it, right? You put it out of its misery and you show off. You just end it. You break it. And, and so the bruised reed. Well, then there's also, according to verse 20, the smoldering wick. I want you for a minute just to think about a candle that is about to burn out. You light a candle and it's burning brightly at the beginning. Now, my wife loves candles. We'll go to the mall and we'll walk by. There's a certain store, bath and body. I don't know, there's a bed. I don't know, there's something, something's beyond and there's baths and and there's great things and candles. And so she's always like, do you want to come in? She gives me that look like, do you want to come in? And I give her that look like, you know, like really? And um, I, I happen to, she gives me the same look though when I want to go in the Tesla store. So it's, it's fair. And so she'll come in, she'll come out with all these little candles and they've got different scents. 
Um, they, they've got, of course, pumpkin spice, whatever that is. Um, they've got all these different, different flavors of candles. And, um, and so th- really, um, you go to light the candle, and it needs three things. It needs a spark, it needs fuel, and it needs a oxygen. So you kind of light that candle, and it begins to kind of burn the wick, and, and it's, it's burning that as fuel. The wax then melts, gives off that pleasant, usually pleasant aroma. But if the oxygen or the wick runs out, what happens? There's a moment, some of you ladies have done this because I'm married to a lady. Some of you have done this. You've left and said, did I leave the candle on? Did I leave? And so you're like, you have to drive back home. You're supposed to be on a date and you have to go back home or you're calling the kids or your neighbor. You check the house, right? And, and you did blow it out, but you forgot. But there's that moment where the wick is about to burn out, right? You know, that it suddenly changes from a flame to a smolder. You guys know what I'm talking about? And really all that's needed in that moment is just a little just a little breath. Just, it's at its moment where it is um, most susceptible to dying out forever. It's not going to reignite itself. Uh, no more burning, no more fire. The flame doesn't reignite. It just goes out. And so what does Jesus say about these two very delicate, uh, very, uh, you could say temporal things, very almost inexpensive um, worthless things, things that you overlook and you replace and you put something more important. What does he say he's going to do with them? He says with the bruised reed, he's not going to break it. Even though he has the power to easily snap it without hesitation, he doesn't do it. He doesn't take the smoldering wick and just, just blow it out. You see, he has the power to do that. As Messiah comes, he has the power to break the bruised reed. Maybe you don't believe me, but Isaiah chapter 40 tells us he has that power. Isaiah 40 says in verse 10, behold, that's another pay attention word, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And that sounds terrifying. His arm goes before him. And yet notice this next part, Isaiah 40 verse 11, yet he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The same mighty arm that could crush us is used to scoop us up and to carry us in his chest. See, the power in God's arms, it's not to crush you, but to carry you. And Jesus, uh, as Isaiah is speaking about Messiah, will be tender and will be gentle with those who are weak, broken, and battle-weary. Jesus sees someone who's broken. He sees someone who's about to be snuffed out. And what does he do? He doesn't deal that final blow, but he heals the bruises. He fans into flame what's left. I love this. And then we have the last section. The rest of verse 20 and verse 21 says, until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles Will hope. If you're taking notes, number six, and this may be the most important, he, Messiah, will deal with sin. In verse 20, through his vicarious death, but he'd also bring victory through his efficacious resurrection. See, guys, the incarnation means that Messiah will come to put an end to sin. He's going to be gentle with those who are broken. He's going to come meek and mild with humility, yet fully empowered by the Holy Spirit, Uh, to please the Father, serve the Father, lay down his life for mankind, 
and in his mission bringing glory to his heavenly Father. I want us to consider this, that Jesus was incarnated to ultimately bring about the justice of God and the mercy of God. Jesus was incarnated to identify with us, to be one of us. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that just kind of resonate with us for a minute. Just think of this. Jesus was born of a woman, right? We opened the service today quoting Galatians 4.4. Born of a woman. Jesus was born to a family. He had uncles. He had aunts. He had cousins. He had that awkward uncle that always showed up at the family get-together, right? Jesus hungered, he thirsted, he fell asleep, he got tired. Jesus yawned. Jesus had internal organs. He had hands, he had feet, he had hair. He was Jesus, so we know he had a beard, right? His family was a part of a tribe of people. Uh, They were a part of the people of Israel. They had traditions, they had beliefs, they celebrated holidays, they celebrated birthdays, they celebrated their traditions, they had conversations, they laughed together, they cried together, they talked together. Guys, the, the impact of this is so personal and powerful that God wanted to send Jesus to deal with sin, but not from afar, not some angel kind of blotting out our transgressions, but to deal with the very raw result of the fall, our lawlessness, our transgression, our treason. And Jesus came to be one of us. Now, as we kind of apply this for a minute, apply this idea of Jesus coming to deal with the real raw stuff. We're going to get into the next few weeks, uh, the Logos becoming word and the idea of Jesus actually uh, putting an end to sin. But today, again, I want to start with the end and work our way back. And so I want us to write these four things down, that Jesus comes to ultimately minister uh, as the suffering servant. And so if you guys are taking note this morning, I want to jot these four things down. Jesus today wants to work gently and tenderly to bring hope in four different areas, okay? And so jot these down for me. Number one, Jesus wants to bring hope in brokenness. And when we say brokenness, what I want to draw attention to is brokenness over our own sin. Uh, There should be brokenness in every area of our life. There should be a sense of brokenness in every area of our lives. Uh, Every follower of Christ has repented of their sin and trusted their life, their eternal life in Christ. But can we just be honest for a minute? The message of the church today, there's a lot of lack of repentance. It's just come follow Jesus, everything's great. He's gonna give you everything you wanted and just pray this prayer and you're good to go. Like that's your kind of, you know, fire insurance. That's not the idea of the New Testament. The idea is that we are to repent, we're to turn from our sin. And so in every believer, there is a healthy, robust brokenness over our sin. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. It's not just mourning the loss of a loved one. It's mourning over our own sin. There should be brokenness. Spurgeon said this, sin alone is real pollution, hellish pollution, abominable pollution. Then he said this, man, this impacted me when I read this. There is nothing in hell that is worse than sin. Nothing in hell that is worse than sin. We this morning should feel a terrible weight and burden of what our sin cost our dear Lord who was slain before the foundation of the world. 
It's not about putting presents under the tree. It's, it, in, Christmas is not about, obviously, the spirit of Christmas and being generous to others and, and just having a heart for, for people and, and, of course, Santa and Elf. It's not about that. It's about the reality of what it cost our dear Lord. The, the, the weight of our sin should, should cause there to be a little bit of a brokenness. Wow, Christmas is a beautiful time of year, but it's beautiful because of my sin and what it cost God to send his own son. And yet even in our brokenness this morning, we have a great high priest who's acquainted with sorrow, familiar with suffering, who is tempted in all ways like us yet without sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. When he clothed himself with humanity, did not clothe himself with a, with a sin nature, but he who knew no sin became sin for us. And, and we know from scripture, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. First John 2, 1 and 2 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, meaning all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So today, I want you to know that in your brokenness, Jesus comes to offer hope. Here's what I mean. There's a kind of a fine line between being broken and being crippled. And we should have a robust brokenness, and then the Lord will offer us hope in the finished work of Jesus for our sanctification. What I wanna challenge you with is to not be in a place of condemnation, where you're crippled, where you're constantly like dealing with your guilt. Gives you, Jesus wants to heal that. Jesus wants to offer hope in your guilt, in your shame. And he forgives you and is not gonna crush you because of the sin you've committed. No, he came to bear our sin, for him to be crushed. So first of all, Jesus comes today to give hope in your brokenness over your sin. But secondly, if you're taking note, Jesus comes to bring hope in our bitterness. See, this isn't sins that we've committed, but sins that have been committed against us. When we talk about the smoldering wick, Chris, I think we have a picture. This is what the smoldering wick looks like when we're talking about bitterness. I don't know if you can see that, but it's dynamite, right? We light that fuse and it's about to just explode. We're angry. In our church today at Shoreline, there are people this morning who have been beaten up by the world. You, you've been beaten up maybe even physically. You, you've been slandered against. You've been a victim of injustice. You've been a victim of, of, of racial injustice. You've been a victim of persecution, uh, maybe even uh, hatred. And God knows our vulnerability and our weakness. And he promises to give us sufficient grace and even strengthen our weakness. And so you may have been bruised by others, but Jesus says, I'm here to not break you. I'm here to restore and heal the wounded places in our heart that maybe others have hurt. So Jesus comes to bring hope in our bitterness. Thirdly, Jesus brings hope in our barrenness. I think about that smoldering wick that he's not gonna quench. And maybe this morning there was a brightly burning flame in your heart for Jesus, and yet now, just the faintest bit of combustion is left. And one more bad day is all it's gonna take to turn it to ash. Uh, some of us go through the numb motions when our hearts are actually far from him. And some of us may be disillusioned, we're doubting our faith, 
And all it takes is just one really strong argument against Christianity and it's just going to be extinguished. But listen, Jesus will not quench the fire. He wants to fan into flame that, that he began in you and have it be a, a fervent blaze as you rest in his grace and truth. He wants to do that in your life. And so maybe you're here today, there's brokenness over your sin. He wants to forgive your sin and heal it. Maybe there's bitterness against sins that have been committed against you. Maybe there's barrenness. There's just, there's just spiritual apathy in your heart. But lastly, number four, Jesus wants to bring hope in our blindness. You guys see, the man with the withered hand wasn't the only one hurting in the synagogue that morning. The Pharisees were trusting in their own righteousness for salvation. And yet all along, as Jesus, the one whose name means salvation, is in their midst, they were blind to their own need for salvation. And here they look with disdain on the man who is walking into the synagogue to worship. And they see someone greatly deformed. Yet at the same time, their own self-righteous legalism was blinding them from receiving true spiritual healing from Jesus. Is that where you're at today? Have you allowed your your religious upbringing to blind you to your need for saving, for your need for grace. We're all in in unique places, but I just wanted to start our series out kind of going right to the wound and addressing that there's some of us here that need Jesus to bring hope in a difficult, hard, hurting situation. And so as we close, uh, we're gonna be taking communion in just a moment. I wanna invite our worship team forward, and we're gonna be closing in some Uh, in a song of of reflection. But my pastor's challenge for us this morning is this, on the screen. My challenge for us, and we do this often, it's not, look, it's not try better, do more, attempt to be a better Christian. It's just simply this, church, look to Jesus. This morning, you may not have visible bruises, but there are still sins that have been committed against you. And like the man with the withered hand, we may be tempted to just be like, hey, it's business as usual. She's going to come to the synagogue. I've been here every week. This is kind of my thing. And yet not receive something, a deep touch from the Lord. And we need to hear Jesus speak hope and life to us today. Maybe this morning you're not the dying candle, but there may come a time in your life, maybe even soon, when the light of joy is threatened to oblivion. And it may come through apathy or tragedy or anxiety, but all of us from time to time deal with the threat of having the flame of our love for the Lord get snuffed out. And I wonder this morning, what would it look like if we together acknowledged our brokenness, acknowledged our barrenness, our bitterness, our blindness, and this morning together as a church, we said, hey, we wanna look to Jesus this this Christmas season. We wanna look to him. We wanna keep our eyes fixed on him. Even though we're dealing with a life of difficulty as a result of the fall, Jesus came to right the wrongs. He came to deal with sin. He came to put an end to it. Augustine said this, man's maker was made that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, the truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation spend it on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. We're gonna be taking communion in just a moment. 
And as the song is playing, we're going to receive the elements. You guys just hold on to those for a minute. You know, I'm kind of bummed this morning. Can I just be transparent? I'm just so discouraged right now. I'm just going to be a transparent pastor. The rain has totally, I think, missed this opportunity this morning. And so I, I'm grieved a little that someone here may, may, and this may be like kind of a, a cheapened moment for you, that, that you came with just sorrows and burdens and sin that just needs to be laid at the feet of Jesus. And because of the weather, that opportunity was missed. Man, I'm broken if that's where you're at. And I just wanna, I just wanna for a minute, have us bow our heads and close our eyes. Are you here this morning? I don't want this moment to escape you. You need to come to Jesus and receive hope, healing, refreshment, encouragement. Don't let the distractions of this morning allow this moment to be missed. Can you raise your hand? I wanna pray for you. Are you here this morning? It was some sin that was committed against you. It was some sin that you've committed that you're still dealing with the shame and the guilt and the, the power of, which you shouldn't be. The power's been broken at the cross. You raise your hand. Someone who's just in need of a fresh healing from Jesus today. You see hands going up. Anyone else this morning? Maybe you just confessed this morning, man, I've been raised in the church, but there's been blindness. I, need, I see my need for salvation. I see my need for Jesus and his finished work on the cross for me. Father, thank you for those who've raised their hand. For all of us, Lord, we acknowledge in a room this size, we've been dealt many difficult things and all of them ultimately a result of the fall. Jesus, you didn't come to make life easy, to make life better. You came to save, to deal with sin. And so Lord, as the first Adam taken ate of the tree, and sin entered the world through that one man. Yet the second man, the second Adam, Jesus came and you bore in your, your body our sin as you took our sin upon you on the tree. Lord, today we acknowledge our need for healing, our need for hope. We are many of us like that man with the withered hand. We, we just need a touch from you. We need to be strengthened by grace. And so Lord, as we sing this song, as we um, hold on to the elements, Remind us of your favor, of your goodness, and help us to receive from you today as we receive the elements. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Lakewood Ranch YMCA. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at calvaryshoreline.com. God bless you.